Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. So contributing to your Saturday afternoon is myself, Tadeo Shari Prashad. It's Newsbreak Talk. Welcome to the program today. Um, yeah, looking forward to connecting with you. It's really a privilege uh, to be able to do this weekly, to talk to you about very important things, to hear your views, to give you the platform to to express those views and definitely something that uh, we take very seriously here uh, at Newsbreak Talk. And today we're focusing on the budget speech that was tabled by Finance Minister Tito Mboweni this week. But, I mean, I am expanding it very differently this year to look at something that you've raised and to intertwine it and intercept it um, onto a particular discussion that may not necessarily relate to the budget speech but it also has an impact and what we're talking about is um, the issue of well how does one actually get those promises made in the budget speech into fruition now oftentimes on the program you've raised this issue of um, cronyism as we know it um, jobs for pals cater deployment um, tenderpreneurs, you call them. So, so um, the corruption basically that goes on behind um, government deals and government goals and plans for infrastructure development, whether it is PPE procurement, as you've seen um, at the beginning of last year. So, this is the discussion that we want to have. How then can there be that accountability level to know that what is outlined in the budget speech? I mean, so many things, but government committed 791.2 billion rand for an infrastructure investment drive. How do you know that uh, 791.2 billion rand is going to be used the way you need it to be used? You know, um, that the, the, the efforts to expand infrastructure um, that Tito Mboweni tabled is actually going to you know materialize so that's what we want to talk about for the first half hour of the program and uh, also to look into that would be a very interesting dynamic in addition to that conversation about black economic empowerment and this interesting point being raised by um, um, an organization called BEE Innovation that says the problem is not black economic uh, empowerment and the problem is the implementation of black economic empowerment, meaning when it's done with corruption as the backbone. So an interesting take on the budget speech. We're going to spend the first half hour doing that. And then from 12.30, we are going to be talking about the 30 rand pension increase. Now, a lot of you are disgruntled about that. And I feel it's very important to give you that opportunity to talk about it. So we'll be uh, focusing on that um, between... 12.30 and 1 o'clock today. So yeah, when we come back, we talk about um, the way promises made in the budget speech should be taking and uh, achieving fruition. Stay tuned. Make room for more entertainment with SABC2 at 7pm. Start the week with Africa from Cape to Kruger and encounter the world's most incredible wildlife. Tuesdays, we bring you delicious meals made by Garu Alberts. Tune in to Couscous Canadas. Wednesdays, Lynette Francis holds down the fort with Focus, reporting on issues affecting people. Thursdays, we make room for Skalk Pizadenert and Serena the Flues 
on our general knowledge game show, Fundis. Straight after, Lee Scott hosts the Clip Art Unplugged sessions with local artists. Stay tuned to SABC2. Okay, Newsbreak Talk, I hope I was able to explain the topic to you and we are going to be talking about it now. I'm happy to be joined and to make contact with Lee Dupree. He is the Managing Director of um, BE Innovation. Of course, this is a, um, you know, a, a compliance cons- consultancy for BE. And Lee, I thank you so much for your time today to talk about this very important, uh, very different dynamic conversation. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Lee, I want to, before we come into this, and of course we are going to be, to be talking about you know, some of the challenges with regard to um, you know, government drives, initiatives and plans going, going forward. But I mean, you obviously watched the budget speech um, on Wednesday. Any starting thoughts about the nature of that speech? Well, I think firstly, business is quite happy that uh, we're not going to be having any tax increases. I think everybody in the country is quite happy again economically that in particular we didn't have another VAT increase. Um, and I think everybody um, who is outside of business is happy that there wasn't a personal tax increase and in fact there's going to be a little bit of tax relief, especially for the people who need it the most. Yeah, I think uh, definitely that, that, that was a huge sigh of relief. But I think you've We've been been focusing specifically in the work that you do and the consultations that you provide, um, specifically on on I think the more macro side of the economy on the on the bigger aspect of it. I know you often talk about enterprise development and um, you know procurement being such a big part of that. Um, and I think one of your main points, and this is something I want to spend some time on, Lee, is that this particular culture of implementation of big government projects needs to be cleaned up. What do you mean by that? All right. So oftentimes BE is scapegoated and blamed for failures. So an interesting example, somebody sent me a picture uh, a few days ago of um, a, the word stop written on the street um, and the word was spelled incorrectly. And they sent the simple caption with that picture, and they said BEE. Now, there's an example of BEE being blamed unfairly for failures. But as far as large government tenders go, what we find happens is that there's a tendency, as we all know, that's why the Zondo Commission exists, um, for cronies to be handed tenders and contracts um, and that money to be used and kicked back to to the wrong places and the wrong people for the wrong purposes. Now, what tends to happen is that the first accusation that you hear is that, oh, it's it's BE. The reality is our experience is it's not BE that's to blame. It's the incorrect implementation of the legislation and the fact that it's being used for for ends for political ends and crony corruption. So if if that was addressed, we would be able to see better implementation of 
services and solutions, infrastructure projects run better, ESCOM would be running better, ESCOM wouldn't be so far over budget, um, there would be no need for the Zondo Commission, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you've explained it so well and so many examples to cite on that. And I think the one that's on the table that's got everybody talking um, is allegations of corruption um, with some senior government officials right down to the health minister, um, to the you know previous government spokesperson, Kuseladiko, all of these allegations being investigated, of course, um, you know, Kuseladiko's placed on special leave and we're talking here about something as critical as, as recent as as gobsmackingly absurd to understand as you know corruption within within the time of a pandemic um so definitely i think the point you raised then shows that this kind of culture of tenderpreneurship uh so you know um as we understand it the allegations of tenderpreneurship as we understand it yep. is not even exempt from something like a pandemic yeah, that is very unfortunate. Um, and of course, we hope the law is going to take its course and, and those, um, those, those issues are going to be addressed. But again, it, it's, it's, it shows you how BE gets scapegoated because the one narrative I kept picking up quite frequently on social media platforms and in the media was how people kept blaming BE. Now, that was not a BE problem. That was an issue of um, people not implementing legislation properly, the people who were charged with overseeing it and ensuring compliance, not implementing it properly and using it for their own selfish means and ends, right? Now, um, if we were able to shine more light on that and if we were able to help people better understand how to leverage uh, BE legislation to their advantage and how to actually use it properly, in particular the enterprise and supplier development element. What you'll find is that there'll be a reduction in the abuse of BE because when opportunities arise, small businesses in particular will have an understanding of how to leverage that legislation, for example, uh, towards their own benefit. So, for example, something I say quite frequently is that BE is the most powerful piece of legislation that exists for large businesses and small businesses if they know how to use it properly. So the problem is not the legislation. The problem is people's general lack of understanding of how to leverage that legislation to their advantage and yeah. how to ensure compliance. Two things, Lee, on that. The one is it's so far gone, this abuse that you're talking about, it's so far gone. I mean, this has been the case since the implementation of the start of, of BEE so soon since South Africa got democracy. And then the second thing is, is that uh, it's an endemic culture now. So my question to you then on those two issues is that how can you then separate corruption from BE because from all the allegations and even a lot of the convictions that we've been seeing uh, it seems as if BE and corruption seemingly go hand in hand so can one separate the two? It's interesting that you say that because you're speaking to exactly the point I was making that BE becomes the scapegoat for corruption <laughs> so I would argue that 
whether B existed or not, um, corruption would uh, still exist, right? So um, our belief is that the solution to bad procurement, and which ultimately leads to corruption, is enterprise development, right? And what do I mean by that? So help small businesses. So, so what large businesses need to be doing, right? Instead of treating BE like a tick box exercise and spending on a small business for the sake of uh, just getting the points so they can move on, they need to ensure that the interventions that they implement actually assist those small businesses to become compliant, right? In those small businesses becoming compliant for tax purposes, firstly, you're going to be able to broaden the tax base. You're going to help those small businesses grow. They'll employ more people, right? Your, your client base as the big business grows. But ultimately, in addressing the corruption issue, what you'll find is that these small businesses, because they understand compliance better, and because they understand how in the long run large business and corruption is going to negatively impact them, you'll find that there will be a general movement from small businesses and large businesses to help reduce the, the, the instances of corruption because everybody realizes they lose too much in the broader scheme of things by doing that. So it's a bit of a long and a roundabout way of helping to address it. But ultimately, using enterprise and supply development properly is going to help you to address some of those problems. And in fact, something important for people yeah. to remember is that BEE is actually the most business-friendly redress re uh, legislation that exists currently. The alternative, and a lot of people don't like to, to remember this, but there was a point when our current governing party, when they first came into power, wanted to nationalize everything. So the fact that we have BE right now is the alternative to nationalization. Now, I think, and I'm sure many people agree, that nationalization would have been a complete disaster. We've seen many examples of that around the world. So ultimately, what we've got in BE is a far better solution than the alternative would have left us with. Yeah, yeah. Lee, let's, let's, let's talk about something then that you know I really want to bring home. And I've got some voice notes here that I'm going to um, go through in a short while, but I want to bring, bring it home. And then, okay, so if we were to look um, specifically at, say for example, 11 billion rand being set aside for the Presidential Youth Employment Initiative. Um, and you know we understand what this then does is it takes um, total funding for employment creation to about a hundred billion rand as outlined by finance minister Tito Mbuweni. Now definitely something that needs work because you know record high uh, of unemployment rates in South Africa, youth unemployment being a major uh, goal for, for government, you've got a hundred billion rand set aside for it now. Um, and if you're talking about abuse of the likes of BE and compliance in, um, you know, understanding how to go about rolling out and, and getting the job done, what impact is it going to have on those young people? And while this may be an example about young people, it's a general example. What impact does it have on the person who should be the end user, which is the South African taxpayer? Um, so, yeah, lack of compliance with BE and all the things that you've outlined, if it continues to uh, degenerate in the way it has, what is the impact on the end taxpayer South African? Well, government's reputation currently is that they don't do a very good job 
of implementing anything. Um, so naturally, there would be concerns around the, the implementation of that particular uh, youth scheme you're talking about. But here's the interesting thing, right? I don't know if there was a need for that scheme from the start. And I'll tell you why. Because in the BE codes currently already exist some of the solutions. Um, so in the, if government was more serious about addressing the youth unemployment crisis, which, by the way, really, to use an overused term, really is a ticking time bomb. Um, but if government was more serious about addressing that, um, they would channel more resources into ensuring that small business and even large business has a more efficient environment to, to operate in. Ensure that we've got the right infrastructure like electricity. Ensure that we've got roads and, and rail networks that can move people around to where they need to get to so that the economy can grow, right? And then an ex another part of that existing legislation that can be used is the Youth Employment Service. So government already gives business an incentive to employ unemployed youth. By, and they can get an, a two-level increase on their BE scorecard by doing so if they're willing to implement the youth employment service. So all we see government doing is, is and I'm criticizing government a lot, but I think rightfully so, you know, um, they, they are, after all, the, we don't have a, I mean, they are the, the government that we're currently under, so they deserve the criticism um, because that's how they improve. But if they were to use the existing legislation better and implement enterprises applied development properly and use uh, or encourage businesses to implement it properly and use the youth employment service, we can solve the existing problems much faster without new interventions needing to be developed. Um, yeah, I hope I, I, I may not have answered your question directly. Yeah, no, I think I, 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 I think you struck it there because ultimately, you know, I wanted the, everybody at home to understand, and and I think they do. To be honest, I think they've you know been great listening to these allegations and seeing a lot of um, the lack of delivery for so many months and years now that they um, can understand it. On the issue of delivery, though, um, you know, and 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 it, it just harks to something that. Um, um, Minister Praveen Gordhan had mentioned where it's become a bit of a famous quote now where he says, um, um, you know, corruption is the name, but procurement is the game. You know, and that's how one then does this kind of procurement. So my question is the impact this then has, and I think you touched on it in your previous answer, but the impact it has on service delivery. Yeah. Well, look, ultimately at the end of the day, as citizens in this country, we just want our roads to not have potholes. We want our grass cutting our communities, and we want to be able to live in a safe and secure environment. And we want our families and our children to be safe. But when money gets stolen, and when it's not allocated to the resources it needs to be, that is where the problems start, right? So when... when when corruption is as endemic as we're experiencing it, then you're, you're naturally going to experience those kinds of problems. But ultimately, part of the solution is that if there were more small businesses grown, and, and we hear this in the media all the time, but if there was a focus on developing small business growth, ultimately that's going to lead to further employment, which increases the tax base, which is also going to mean that government is held more accountable 
um, because there's more people who have skin in the game, right? When people have economic line of sight um, of what government is doing, they're more likely to hold the political leaders to account, meaning that we get better outcomes, meaning that we all live happier, safer lives, meaning that you reduce corruption. Um, so ultimately, all I'm saying is that if BE were taken more seriously and implemented better, in particular helping small businesses grow using enterprise supply development, you'll start to see better outcomes for everybody in the country. And that's what we all want at the end of the day. But, and I think to wrap it up now then, Lee, and, and you know, we started up talking about this, BE then doesn't have a very, um, you know, uh, clean name um, in South Africa. And South Africans often view it, you know, as, as to be just a way to advance agendas of certain people, uh, abusing a system that, you know, hasn't really benefited the uh, millions of black South Africans who, you know, it intended to, 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 um, to benefit um, all these years gone by but nonetheless and i'm not even going to touch on this or go into this yet but the issue of um you know offsetting the um the uh, the legacy of of colonial business and colonial economics um mm. we do understand why a policy like b is important so to wrap up lee i want to ask you um you know what should then um i think corporations even government um you know those who cont- control purse strings um what should they do to ensure that they give be a clean name so sure, well they, they should shine some light on the interventions that they're doing um in particular around supporting small business. So one of the things I think would help a lot is if large enterprises, when um, claiming points on the enterprise supply development element on their scorecard, were required to not just list the beneficiaries that were supported, but what interventions were implemented and what those outcomes were, right? then what, you, what you'll find is that there's not going to be an incentive to throw money at cronies um, or use it for corrupt ends. Then they have to prove what was done, and they'll be under public scrutiny um, to not just say we did something, but show us what the outcomes were. With the money you spent supporting that small business for your BE points, how many jobs were created in that business? How much more sustainable is that small business? How much, um, how many more clients does that small business have? Now, by no means am I suggesting that this is going to be an easy thing to achieve. But what I am saying is that we, if we really want to see effective enterprise and supplier development, and we really want small businesses to be able to grow so that they can employ people like you and me and our friends and family, then we really need to ensure that enterprise and supply development is better implemented um, all over the country. Yeah, and one of yeah. the ways is to Lee, I'm sure, going to stop yeah. you there. Yeah. I'm going to stop sure. you there. I noticed that, that was my last question, but uh, change of plan. <laughs> uh, I got some interesting messages here from Frank in Peter Maritzburg, and he says, I- I'd mm. like your guest, um, I feel like your guest is not reflecting on this, and yes, we've not touched this in our conversation, Frank, so uh, you've raised something and we're going to try and address it. So as, as quickly as you can, Lee, have very short answers here because we are running out of time for our next segment. Um, so Frank says, big blue chip companies who have used and stored 
still use BE to install non-executive directors on boards as fronts to window dress in order to gain an advantage in winning tender uh, bids um, and, and business financing. Uh, that's also a cheat, isn't it, Lee? Yeah, well, look, before I answer that question directly, I will let Frank and anybody else who's interested know that uh, we're discussing this particular issue around enterprise development and some of the abuses in a webinar on the 24th of March. And if anybody's interested, they can go to our website at theinnovation.co.za and they can sign up for our newsletter so they'll get more information there. But to respond directly to Frank right now, um, we find that there are cases where it's abused so that they can get additional points on their scorecard. Um, we never support that, obviously. But the alternative is that, in fact, not, what we have seen is that there are companies that actually use it to their advantage and do it properly. So those companies will bring in the right people onto their boards as non-executive directors. They'll make sure those people have the right skills. And those companies, at the end of the day, ultimately benefit because their businesses grow better and they actually use the skill set of those non-exec directors to move their companies forward. So it also can work, but unfortunately, Frank is also right that it does get abused. Yeah, and then also, how can any individual or group uh, that are not targeted as BE deserving have any leverage when it comes to government municipal tender bids or requests for business finance? Well, the large majority, 90% of the population, are actually BE deserving, to use that particular terminology. Anybody who's not white counts as, B, uh, counts as black for BE purposes. So that's black, Indian, and colored people all count for BE purposes. Um, and like I said, it's the large majority of the population. So there often is a misconception, um, especially as I realized between Indian and colored people, that they don't qualify for BE benefits, and that is untrue. Um, so they just need to understand how to use the legislation better to their advantage. Yeah. Well, I think the, on that note, Lee, we'll leave it there now. That's our time up on the program. Lee Dupria, he is the um, Managing Director of BE, BE Innovation. Lee, you've explained that uh, in a very, very sort of um, interesting light with regard to the, you know, the, through the framework of the budget. And we look forward to talking to you about, um, I think, more issues with regard to enterprise development going forward. Great. Happy to do so. Leader Pree there. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was our conversation on BE. I've got some messages and voice notes here on the topic. Let's let's wrap that up before we go on to our next segment. And uh, Kalashakti sent a voice note with regard to that. Hello, Kalashakti. Good day, Taresh. Hope you're enjoying your Saturday. Taresh, corruption is corruption, even no matter how small it is. Once tasted never wasted. There has to be a thorough spring cleanup in that department. And I hope it's done soon. Have a blessed weekend, Tarish. Kalashakti. Thanks very much for that. Some text messages. Some text messages now on the issue. Al A says, BEE is not the problem. The development aspects of BEE 
has been ignored. The advent of crass capitalism has hijacked this project, leading to the phenomenon of tenderpreneurship. Your guest is on point when he says that BE is the best solution considering our inequalities. The fact that our procurement policies are poorly monitored does not mean that BE should be scrapped. Our biggest problem is monitoring and consequence management. In Yeah, well said, Elliot. I completely agree with you. Um, Chapter 2 says, I don't know if this is BE and um, enterprise related. He says, if our government does not achieve its projected financial targets, we could see downgrades from the rating agencies. It's highly possible we will receive another downgrade. Okay, we are going to uh, also come back to some voice notes that I think Chapter 2 has sent on corruption, which was a major point with regard to the abuse of BEE. Mana says corruption seems to be the norm in this country with the health minister being implemented in a PPE tender corruption. This leaves us very little hope for change because it does have an impact. Yeah, so definitely. I felt that you always raised this issue and therefore I wanted to look at it within the context of, 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 of um, BE and entrepreneurship and procurement. So that is why we end that conversation. When we come back, we shift to another issue very close to your heart. 30 Rand increase in a lot of social grants, 30 Rand for the old age grant. Um, I mean, do you think that's enough? Was it a slap in the face? Uh, I'd like to know your thoughts on that. When we come back, we tackle that issue. Bar's lowest prices ever. Get 750 gram cross and black wild tangy mayonnaise, excluding squeeze bottle, for 23 99 and 120 gram lace potato chips, any three for 45 rand. It's the lower than low sale. Now on at Spa. Your favorite newspaper just added even more insight with the new Insider Supplement. From personal finance and politics to entertainment and property and so much more, you'll find the inside track from our world-class journalists and contributors. Get the inside view from the insiders only in the Insider. Exclusively in the Saturday Star, Independent on Saturday, Weekend August, Pretoria News Weekend, Sunday Tribune and Sunday Independent. Brought to you by the power of Independent. Weekend Explosion with Krishna Priyadasa. I always say if you like to partake in the awesomeness of 30 minutes of non-stop music, then all you need to do is WhatsApp me with a really awesome cool track on the number 061. No, 061. Yeah, no, 0716137830. I think that's enough. Oh my god, I forgot the number. Okay. 0716137830. Yeah, that's the number. That's the number. I'm right. Right, so that is the number. Lotus FM. Yeah. Yeah. Share the experience. Share the experience. <laughs> I just want to, to give you a secret. That's why I don't give out the WhatsApp number. I just hope you've saved it and you know it. Better you than me. <laughs> uh, some more voice notes now I want to go through before we connect with our next guest. Uh, Selvin sent us quite a lengthy voice note. Selvin, apologies if I do have to shorten it. Hello there. Hi. Uh, hi, good afternoon to you, Tarish, and your listeners. I'll start off by saying that uh, the finance minister said that it's uh, not an austerity budget, but according to Devin Morgan, the ENC financial man, he says that it's anything but that. Uh, so does the economist from uh, Alexander Forbes. So basically, sadly enough, it's the debt of the to GDP is 88.9%. And the rating agency normally look at this 
And of that, then you have 20% of the revenue is used to service the debt. So the other aspect is, all right, we look at the positives. There's a tax relief. There's no increase in income tax hikes because the tax brackets have increased with inflation. So if your salary increases, then there's a little bit of relief in terms of personal tax rebates. It's a really small rebate. Unfortunately, then the corporate tax has uh, reduced a bit. Uh, but from 100 billion rands deficit, they now have a 213 point, uh, billion rand shortfall. And then the, uh, in terms of the tax revenue, and uh, that's 3.3% of the GDP. And uh, previously, they have moved out from 15% of the budget defi- deficit. And they come down to 12.3%. So at the end of the day, I would still suggest that the final solution is that they must stop spending too much of money on the state SOEs and uh, get the qualified personnel in the country to now operate and handle and get highly paid. Selvan, wonderful. What an analysis. Thank you so much for raising that, Selvan. I think the way you did the maths there really helped us, specifically as those of us at home, you know, understand the issue of deficit, uh, issue of expenditure, over-expenditure, and the SOE point, definitely something very salient. Selvan, thanks for the contribution in the program today. And Govinda, hello. Good day, Tarish. Majority of pensioners are supporting one of their adult unemployed children. Pensioners don't see a cent of their pension. I personally know a pensioner whose daughter draws a pension, changes the money into 50 rand notes, thus confusing her mother. A part of the pension is given to the mother. On one occasion, I was requested to count the money. Generally, the daughter or daughter-in-law keeps the card and draws the money. Thank you. Shocking, Mr. Governor. Wow. Cannot believe, um, wow, that happens. Uh, let's go to this voice note very quickly. Hello. Hi, Tarish. My name is Asha and I'm from Johannesburg. I'm going to take the unpopular view on this and ask the question as to why is it that the senior citizens within our community is so incredibly dependent on this grant? Is it a matter of not proper retirement planning or not proper planning in terms of the loss of a spouse? Is it really the government's responsibility to be taking care of our senior citizens? I mean, where are the family and friends, the kids, the grandkids? Is it not our responsibility as well to be making sure that uh, these individuals are living properly? Because we don't do tough love well in our community. I mean, if we've got a, a son or a daughter that is sitting on your couch for the past 10 years and they're now 40 years old, our parents don't push them to do anything. They don't say the, 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 of the opinion of, oh, what can I do? That's my child. There's a lot that you can do and there's a lot that you can change. And until that is done, unfortunately, that vicious cycle in our community will continue because the kids look at this behavior and think, oh, well, I'm going to do the same. And so it goes. So my question is, and the thing that we need to look at is, why are they so incredibly dependent on this grant? Um. Asha, I think you've raised something and I think it's definitely going to get a lot of people responding and talking about it. Uh, it's always good to have a differing opinion. It's always good to look at a different side of the narrative. Um, I want to possibly suggest then that, um, you know, I also look at it and this is Asha from me, well, before COVID, but um, me walking in communities. I mean, previously on Newsbreak Talk, we um, would 
go into communities and do interviews before we even started having our conversation and our talk show. And and what we saw um, ad nauseum was a lot of poor families who uh, either have come from a sort of background where, you know, um, they weren't educated enough to understand how to make money um, and uh, how to make money grow, how to plan for retirement, you know, how to, um, you know, do um, sort of financial planning. Um, and, and therefore, a lot of them are dependent on it. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of um, senior citizens do come from a, a background of patriarchy where the men handled finances and the women didn't. They just handled roti in the, in the kitchen. So that culture exists. So when a woman then finds herself in a situation where, wait a second, I don't have an income, the first, the only thing she can do is run to the state because she doesn't have the know-how of, of, of handling her finances by virtue of the fact that there's a patriarchal system. So many reasons behind it, Asha, but I'm very uh, grateful that you raised it. I think we need to talk about it and we also need to create a, um, an empowered generation of senior citizens who can handle their own finances and dare not need to beg a state to provide for them. On that point, I want to bring into the conversation now um, Mervyn Abrahams. He's from the Economic Justice and Dignity Group. He's the program director there. Mr. Abrahams, always such a pleasure to have you on the show. How have you been? Oh, good afternoon, Tarish, and good afternoon to all your listeners. Um, uh, I listened with great interest uh, to what your, what your other listeners have been saying. Um, and I'm very happy to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. And when we last spoke, you know, you explained how food prices have increased so rapidly. Um, you know, at, at points, you know, you mentioned uh, 4,000 rand, you know, hovering around the 5,000 market points for a food basket, you know, for a family. And we understand that uh, what, a 30 rand increase for the senior citizen, uh, a pension telling to about 1,000, just over 1,800 rand, surely not enough for a senior citizen to manage the economic challenges of the time, isn't it, Mr. Abrahams? Uh, so, Tarej, I mean, really, if I might say that this budget is by far one of the worst budgets in our democratic South Africa. I mean, I think that the budget 2021 will go down in history at the moment that the country realized that government and the ANC has left ordinary South Africans behind. It is not just an austerity budget. It's a budget, I believe, that, that, that does harm uh, to South African families. So when we look at, I mean, I listened to what Asha had said in your previous caller. Uh, we also need to understand that, Asha, that wages in South Africa have historically been extremely low. When we ask our parents what they earned largely in working in factories, etc., there was never enough money to put away for retirement, hence the dependent on the state. But a 50 rand increase in the old age grant is a 1.6% increase. CPI for January uh, uh, this month was 3.2, so it's half of what CPI. And then we have to look at what kind of money buy you. So we are looking at food price increases running at 5.1% over the last five months. With a fuel levy increasing by 27 cents, that will increase everything in the economy. All goods and services are somehow related to petroleum. So the fuel levy will increase 
everything. And so we're expecting that food prices will increase drastically over the next month or two. So increases in food prices. We are looking at an increase of around 15% on electricity. We are looking at an increase in transport with fuel levy increasing. So really everything will increase way above inflation. But the old age grant has come in at 1.6% uh, uh, increase, which is well below the inflation line. And we do know that the old age pension is generally used in households uh, to purchase food. We know that that money goes towards the purchase yeah. of food. So, so really... Uh, uh, when we're looking at the situation today, that a person or a household living off an old age grant or, or child support grant will be able to buy less food, less electricity and less transport. It's definitely, it's definitely shocking, think, Mr. Abrahams, when you look at yeah. it that way. But, Mr. Abrahams, if I can ask you simply, because, you know, I think um, that the point was, was interesting. Um, when you look at the fact that, you know, you have a, a, a state old age grant that is nearly no way enough to support the senior citizens with their, you know, basic living conditions, um, how then can a senior citizen break that dependency on an old age grant? It is, it is extremely difficult at this stage because the normal way in which we earn money is through work, is through jobs or through a livelihood. Now, if the old age pension was significantly increased, then one can say there's a possibility of keeping back perhaps a thousand rand, buying a couple of potatoes, selling it on the street, making a 500 rand profit, etc., something like that. But when an old age grant is not even half of what the household food needs is, then it is extremely difficult to start uh, using that money to create another form of income. And I think we shouldn't be putting the burden on old people to have to do that at this particular stage of their life. At this particular stage of their life, it is up to us younger people in the economy. We should be getting the economy right and going, and it's government's duty to do that. I mean, we pay them their salaries for that purpose. Um, in order to, to ensure that the next generation of, of, of older persons would be able to take better care of their finances. But we, we can't depend it on the current group of, of, of older people. Yeah, I think definitely something to, to consider over there. Um, but also the other uh, sort of school of thought has been was that, you know, this is coming off a off the back of that 350 um, sort of you know top up that a lot of senior citizens got on their pension. And, and um, you know, one needs to also take into account the, the, this, the challenges of the state. Uh, I think globally, all, all countries are battling with the um, you know, burden of COVID-19. So from that perspective, you know, how do you balance it? So, so, yes, it is true that COVID-19 has, has really made life very difficult for, for, for governments the world over. Um, and in that sense, uh, uh, South Africa is not alone. But when we look at how South Africa is approaching, in comparison, say, to other economies, um, the advice from the International Monetary Fund to governments has been create stimulus 
stimulate an economic recovery. The bigger the stimulus, the better that recovery will be later on, because the more money is flowing in the economy, the more goods and services are being bought and sold. And then think about deficits once we are beyond that. What we are doing is our government is creating austerity now already, which will only lead us into a deeper economic hole because there's actually less money flowing around in the economy for goods and services. So it is likely that we will see greater unemployment because a lot of companies are actually going to have to close down because there is just not enough money flowing around. And the only ones who can invest at a time of a pandemic, is actually the state. Private sector does not invest at this time. They only follow on from government's example. So if government is withdrawing money, like cutting corporate tax rates, for instance, from 28 to 27%, that means that the, the, the state will have less money available to, to assist and, and, and to do things with infrastructure, uh, uh, spending, etc. And that's really where we should be going. We should be spending more on infrastructure now and not wait till post-pandemic. Interesting points there. Well, Mr. Mervyn Abrahams from the Economic Justice and Dignity Group, thank you very much for your time and definitely I think these ongoing economic developments will keep us busy, so look forward to having you on the programme soon. Thank you, Teresh. Thank you. Take care of yourself, Mr. Abrahams, over there. Okay, let's bring it now down to you to to join in the conversation. Um, yeah, and please just bear with me if we do um, miss out on any um, sort of uh, messages or texts from you. I'm trying to incorporate as much as I can. Roy Singh on a voice note. Hello, sir. Hi, Direction and the news break team. I think the government is doing a wonderful job for the old age grant and single parents, etc. I mean, if you look at the background we come from, most of the South Africans, they are poor people. I mean, let the person reach the age of, uh, or a pensionable age, and sometimes you have your children that's, that robs you of all your money, or take everything away from you, end up with nothing. So there's poverty out there in our country, and uh, we really appreciate our government. Even if they possibly could pick up the grant, that would be appreciated. In terms of we, I think, it's a good thing, it's for the disadvantaged people, but if you look at the procurement on our tendering side, it's you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. And so yeah, Mr. Singh, thanks so much for that, for that voice note. Appreciate your contribution. Uh, let's go to this voice note. Hello there. Good afternoon, Parishan. It is Kale here. The petty rand increase for the all-day pension grants and the disability grants is definitely a slap in the face. I say this because the cost of living is so high and also we have a failing economy. And if you look at the water tariffs and the electricity tariffs, sometimes a person's entire disability grant or all-age pension goes on that. You have a blessed afternoon. You as well. Have a blessed afternoon. Thanks for the contribution. Another message here. Hello. Good afternoon, Taresh. With regards to Asha's comment, does she realize that some of our old people only did standard five? Some of them weren't sent to school. Some of them had to work to provide for their parents. And in those days, no one taught them about saving, about retirement plans and things like that. Everything was left for someone else. 
Yeah, I think that uh, comment has really got people talking. Interesting to have a dynamic like that. Ramba, hello. Hi, Paresh. Very good topic to talk about today. Thank you for being on here. This is Ramba. But my point is, we senior citizens are looking our children that are not unemployed. They are looking for a job, but they can't find a job. But they want to change names in this country. Find a job and put the names of the company that is employing our children today. We are collecting grant and we have to look after our school children, even our grandchildren to support them with this grant. We can't make them to starve because of the pandemic and the problem in this country. We have to take care of our children. Thank you, Taresh, for raising this matter up. God bless you. We love you. Hope things, you know, go better for everybody who do face those sorts of challenges. Mr. Chillen. Good day, Taresh. This is Daniel Joshua Chillen. Taresh, I am very excited and very proud of the government for caring for those people that lost their jobs and are unemployed and gave them the 350 rands to take care of them. But on the other hand, the pensioners used to get an average of about 90 rands increase. You are giving them 30 rand increase. Did you and 10 rand for the children? Did the government take the money from the poor where the service get more increase and give it to the unemployed people? Is that being justice? Taking from the poor and giving the poorer? So I don't think that's fair. And Mr. Minister of Finance should know that he's paying the same amount for lights and the foods as well as the poor people. How can they manage that when lights are going up by 15%? Thank you and God bless you. Bless you as well. I'm um, just skimming through for some more um, voice notes here. Um, okay, let's go to some text messages then. Uh, huh. Anonymous says, you're discussing a topic on the pension. Can you get someone from that department to tell us how um, the means test when you go to apply for social assistance? You Okay. Um, well, I'm going to go through your t- request. And yeah, definitely, it's always good to have us on to talk about things. So I'll try my best. Ramba Muli says, thank you so much for the interesting topic. Um, oh, glad that you're enjoying it, Ramba. Bina Ramdhari says, Om Sai Ram, I was shocked to see the cable rail line stolen after Prasa dismissed security systems. This loss is running into billions. And I think Bina, Bina is talking about a point that uh, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni raised when he says, we cannot be providing and putting billions into infrastructure development but when somebody gets angry they go and destroy it so that's, i think that's also a topic for us to put onto our agenda at a point the um issue of vandalism rennie says uh we are dependent on this grant because not everyone is lucky um as other families uh, some of us work most of our lives and i think it's now only fair for the government to support us Penny says there are poor people around, um, not gifted like everybody else. So of course, these are comments in relation to what Asha raised and a lot of them saying, well, we are not as fortunate as some people, um, you know, who have fortunate lives, who, you know, can not be dependent on a state pension. K. Governor says with all your, oh, this is lovely. K. Governor says with all your um, talk shows with different topics every week, is there anything done about it? Like taking these complaints to higher authorities. So um, I'm basically 
basically here as a journalist employed by the SABC serving my public service mandate and my job is to discuss and raise awareness, bring attention, bring information on very pertinent issues. So that is me fulfilling my mandate as a public service broadcast journalist. Um, but to answer the question, if are these complaints taken to high authorities? Yes, a lot of them who do come onto the show and when we put these comments forward to them, they do implement things. I'll give you an example. We raised a, an issue uh, recently about long queues to renew your driver's license and we had the department of Kazula Natal here and he says thank you so much for that because you really helped us understand the challenges that the um, public is facing two weeks later they piloted a project in Tongat where you can book a date um, and bypass the queue bypass every single queue and uh, sorry in Verilum that was um, and you can get your license done I myself went on that pilot project and it was done in 10 minutes. So I do think they listen, K Governor, and yes, we do try and make a difference. Yasmin Roy says, uh, I feel Asha is completely wrong. The children today also are having a hard time to pay for their bond, their education, etc. So um, it's not easy for the children to help the senior citizens. Rani in Stangamana says, I know that other countries do not pay pensions for the old, but they are. we are not a first world country can our eight-year-old parents support themselves when their tax-paying spouses are no longer here? Anonymous says, instead of outsourcing the work where corruption, um, the ruling party will always cover it up. Um, Gani Gaundan Impangeni, it's a shame if the waste of stolen resources. Investigations like the Zondo Commission is more of a waste of money. Every embezzlement requires a commission of inquiry. Scrap everything and start from scratch. <laughs> K. Mudli says, B should be scrapped altogether. It's a racist policy. Mrs. Governor Kluve says, good afternoon, news break. Trust that you are well. Regarding the increase in the old age pension, I think the finance minister should review it and add more. 30 rand can't even buy bread and milk daily. Louis Pillay says, uh, regarding the pension, an increase of 30 rand times the millions of people is a lot, but increasing it to 2,000 rand will do a, a lot of good and drop the um, 350 rand for COVID-19 virus a month. Um, some more messages. Rohini says, Namaste. She's enjoying the topic. Um, Anonymous says, I respect Asha's concern. It's easy when one's life is filled with wealth and no stress. Old age means illness um, and, and no stress. Um, yeah, but, you know, contribute rather to the less fortunate. There are many who will appreciate your gestures. Um, Ramba Mudlin Phoenix says, people who work very hard were paying taxes, so they're entitled to their grants. Uh, message from Denzel. Let's try and fit it in. Hello, Denzel. Namaskaram, uh, Taresh. I think it's clearly evident that the rich will get richer and the poorer, poorer will get poorer. I don't think so. This government is taking into consideration the people that are living in the bread line that can't afford food to eat. Now, with the tariff increases, automatically everything goes up. I think people will eventually starve and die in this country, like other African states. Thank you, Taresh. Have a blessed day. Denzel Ramia. 
Denzel, thanks. So that will wrap up the program now. And I think with regard to the um, old age grant, just very quickly, a point raised there. I think Asha raised that point about why are senior citizens so dependent on it. And of course, there are the ways in order to create financial sustainability and dependency to not be reliant on a state that doesn't support you as much. So that was the point. And a lot of people then saying it's really challenging for the senior citizens. So two schools of thoughts coming through there. I really appreciate every thought that has come through on the program. Um, always great to have that debate and that engagement. The broadcast came away courtesy of the team executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Buddy. I'll talk to you tomorrow, 12 to 1 o'clock from Itarish. Hey, have an awesome day. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.